Well, first of all, I just want to say um, it's really an honor to be here and a, and a pleasure. And it's uh, this church has a special a place in my heart uh, because actually before I was even saved, I attended this church. I attended this church for one day. Um, and it was about uh, 1978. And uh, the church had just split off from the PCUS, the Mainline Presbyterian Church. And um, I was uh, really uh, an absolute sinner and uh, not really even knowing that I needed saving grace. And I attended this church and I, I, uh, that one time and I felt so warmly received. It was really probably one of my first tastes of saving grace. And I just, I've never shared that with anybody and I want to share it with you all. And I, I saved it for this time because that was, has always been a real memory in my mind. It was a sunny day and it was beautiful out. And I remember the kindness of the people and their generosity of heart and how they received me, um, even though I was a sinner and knew not Jesus at that time. So I want to, I want to thank you all for that. If any of you were there then, uh, thank you for your grace and mercy that only can come from God. You know, we, um, we, um, I got a phone call from Marty. He said, I'm really in a, I'm really in a, in a bind here. Uh, Steve's had to go back east and were there any chance that you could come and preach, uh, to us and, uh, we could do communion and, and we'd, we'd, we're really in a bind. And I said, let me make sure I got it cleared with my other two partners over here. And we got that all cleared on Thursday, and so I said, sure. So I just happened to have a sermon that I'd done a couple weeks ago. We've been doing a sermon series on the armor of God, about putting on the full armor of God and challenging our congregation to to pray on the full armor of God every day before they even go out into the workplace. And so today I have a message on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is part of that armor. In fact, it's... A lot of people say it's the only offensive weapon in the armor, but that's not totally true because the sword of faith, I mean the shield of faith, at times a shield could be used on the offensive to march forward in faith. So just remember those thoughts as we go along. It's a big passage. We we did um, six to seven weeks on this. All three of us uh, took different parts. And, And I'm excited to share with you what God put on my heart and how he's revealed some things to me. In the Presbyterian Church in America, we take a high view of Scripture. We consider this Scripture as being God-breathed. In fact, it's breathed out. The Scripture says that it was men spoke as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Scripture tells us that it is indeed God-breathed, and it's useful. It's useful for correction, for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness so that the man and woman of God can be competent for every good work. So we believe this word is inerrant, that it is God's very word to us. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that as we talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So hearing the reading of the word of God, In Ephesians, I'm going to read the whole armor section for you, but we're going to concentrate on the sword of the Spirit. Beginning at chapter 6 in the book of Ephesians, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know and believe that while the flower fades and the grass withers, your word, the word of God, endures forever. Lord, illumine our hearts by your word, by your word, Lord. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each and every heart herein be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard it said before by preachers, but there <clears throat> there is a sense that when you preach on a particular passage of Scripture, you live that out all week. That's scary. Because a lot of things happen. And this week, <clears throat> yesterday, for example, uh, excuse me, on Saturday, had a couple come into the office for marriage counseling, and they were know about Jesus, so they've been in the church for a long time, but they really weren't assured that if they died today, they'd go to heaven. They weren't too sure about that. They weren't even sure about, well, what would I say to God if he asked me if I did die and appear before him, why should I let you to my heaven? They weren't really sure about those answers. So I got the chance to see the power of the gospel for salvation. I presented the gospel to him, and she prayed for assurance because she had accepted Christ at one point, but she had lost her faith just a little bit. There was, there was kind of this doubts that had been sown as by who? The devil, the flesh, and the world are enemies. And for him, he kind of knew about Jesus. He'd been raised as a, a, a good Catholic. He'd been catechized. He, he knew everything up here, but it never got down here. It never traveled that 18 inches from the head to the heart which is the distance a lot of people are going to miss heaven by. He wanted Jesus at that point. I saw the power of the gospel work. It wasn't me. All I did was give a reason for the hope that's within me and share the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And they jumped in the boat. Yesterday I saw that happen again in God's word. What I saw was that I got a phone call. We got a phone call yesterday afternoon, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. My daughter, her husband, and their three little boys, 8, 5, and 4 months, had just been 
in an automobile accident at Thornydale and Orange Grove. Maybe some of you drove by that yesterday afternoon around 5 o'clock or so. And somebody had run a red light and missed T-boning them by, you know, six feet. And uh, it was a young guy. <clears throat> and so we drove over there. Our daughter called crying. Uh, everyone was okay. And as we drove up, here was this little family huddled together on the curb right there by that AM, PM station. Okay? And, and I just could thank God for that. Because on the way over, I had said, Lord, help this. Help us. And he gave me a word. He said, don't be anxious for anything. I'm, I am your God. Don't be anxious for anything. But all things, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to me. And I will give to you peace that surpasses all understanding. And guard your heart and your family's heart in Christ Jesus. And we drove up, and here was my little family, safe and sound. The other guy's car flipped. He was safe and sound. I saw God's Word working in two completely different ways. I saw it working in the power to bring someone to salvation by the faith that God had given them to believe, I saw the power of God's Word working in me to keep me from being anxious and answering prayer that they would all be okay. I saw that power. God's Word. The power of the sword, the Spirit. This summer, I had an opportunity to go to um, Grand Rapids, Michigan, to Calvin Seminary. There was a, a week-long a course uh, one of the teachers was a guy I really liked his commentary on the book of Matthew. And so I had signed up for this course and have a little bit of money in my budget for personal development. And I signed up for it, and their application was absolutely impossible. I thought, what is all this about? It's like, you know, I'm applying for to be president of the United States or something. This is ridiculous. And uh, so I got all signed up, and and I sent in uh, the email. It was the la- I found out the last day, of course, you know, that the courses that you could register for it. I sent it all in. It took me like four hours to get all the resumes and everything. I sent it all in. They, and uh, that, eventually they called me up and they said, okay, uh, where do you, where do you want to stay? Do you want to stay in the, the Prince Conference Center that's on campus or, or what? And I said, yeah, that sounds good. I can walk there. And, Is your wife coming with you? I said, sure. And my daughter, who's 20, she'll come along too because we're going to go from there to Philadelphia and up to West Point. Okay, so um, then I get a book from him. I get another book. So pretty soon I call him up. I say, hey, what's going on with this? When do I start paying here? And they said, no, it's all paid for. So they gave us, they gave us the whole week. Compliments of Covenant, uh, excuse me, Calvin Theological Seminary. And apparently some people have given some money to help pastors and uh, to treat them because as they get beat up all the time, they're constantly in... In, uh, in, in, in battle, you know, having that armor on, it can get heavy sometimes. And so they pay for everything. And that's why the application was so, you know, difficult. I had no clue. So I thought, well, I won. I didn't even have to tap my budget, you know. It was just great. But anyway, as, uh, um, being up there, one of the guys that I met was a guy named Gary Cross. And he's a pastor in Zimbabwe. If you know anything about that country, there's been a lot of turmoil in there, and they're under a very, very um, ruthless 
uh, dictator at this point in time. Now, Gary and I were having lunch, and he didn't realize that you know we were in the middle of this sermon series on the armor of God, but he started talking about how he was preaching on the armor of God about a year ago. And <clears throat> he said that he was talking to his wife, Susan, and he said, you know, you know, we really are at war here. We really are. You know, and, and he said, you know, it's, it's just great that God has given us these weapons of war so that, so that we can be protected and we'll know how to fight. Now, following Sunday after church, they would gather in their courtyard for tea. Isn't that great? That's a, kind of a neat thought. They all gather around, have tea, and you can just see this picture of little tables and all this kind of stuff. Just put your right, yourself right there, and you're visiting with a friend, and, and it's just great. All of a sudden, these cars show up, and it's the Secret Service from Zimbabwe. And they've got ten agents, and they fan out, and they, they circle the courtyard, and they send them in, and they say, we've got a warrant for arms of war in this place. Well, that's kind of scary. It's funny to us because we know what the arms of war are and what he was talking about. And it was kind of funny to them too, except that these people have been known to plant what they're looking for on the property so they can haul you to jail and do away with you. They spent an hour and a half looking through every box, every classroom, every under every chair. They looked out through, through all the property. They came back and they went to Gary and they said, okay, do you have any weapons of war here? And he said, yes, I do. Would you you like to see them? And he went, well, yeah, they got real excited. We want to see those weapons of war. You bet we do. Okay, he said, "Um, all right, well, you have to go into my office. So they go into his office and he he said, listen, I don't know why, but I just happen to have this box on the floor with 18 King James Bibles in it. Somebody had sent, thinking we were going to use that, you know, we, we use the English standard, but, but he said, uh, so he said, I took this, this box out and I plunked it down on top of the desk. And I said, here they are. And he, he opened them up and he said, this is the sword of the spirit. He says, if you read this, it will change your life. Would you like one of them? And they all said, yeah. Well, We'll all take one. So, you know, they got their Uzi in his hand and their Bible in his hand. <laughs> he said, would you like to pray with us? And they said, no, we, we, we don't want, we don't want to pray. He said, well, can we pray for you? Sure. So he called in some of the youth folks and they prayed for these guys with their weapons and their Bible. And they left the church with their Bible walking out with the power that they didn't even know about. If they had only known which arm held the real power. Huh? Not, not this one. But this one here. If they only knew the power of God's word that they held in their hands. The swords. The power of protection. The pro- power of life. Mighty weapons of war. The Word of God is what the Spirit uses to slice and dice our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what the Spirit uses as a weapon. 
The Word of God, the Gospel, empowered by the Spirit, is the means by which the Christian is protected and empowered for life, to really live. The greatest example of the sword of the Spirit being used to defeat the the enemy that we have in Scripture is in Matthew 4. You're probably familiar with that passage. Many of you are. That's where Jesus, right after his baptism, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he's tempted by Satan. He goes to the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days. He's tired. He's hungry. He's alone. He's vulnerable. Seizing the opportunity, Satan's first words sow doubt on the Word of God. If you are the Son of God, he sneers. Now, how reminiscent is that of his sowing those first words in the garden with Adam and Eve? Did God really say not to eat of that tree? Did he really say that? He says, if you are the Son of God, and since you're hungry, do a cheap miracle. Act on your own. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus, keeping his faith in God's word, God's word that he had just experienced in his baptism. If you're familiar with that, it's in Matthew 3.16, in which Christ goes into the water, and as he comes out, you see the Son of God coming out of the water. You see the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, coming upon him. And you, you hear God saying, This is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He believed his Father. He believed his Father's word, his Father's promises. So he takes the living and active double-edged sword right here. And he says this, it is written. It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that pours out of my Father's mouth. And Satan would tempt him a couple more times. And each time he would say, it is written. It is written. He says, jump off the, the, the ledge of the temple if you're the Son of God. He said, it is written, don't tempt the Lord. Don't tempt God. He says, worship me. I'll give you everything. He says, it is written. Worship only the Lord your God. Worship and serve only Him. He took the word and he sliced open Satan. He cut him apart and he exposed him as a liar, a thief, and a counterfeit. It is written. It is written for man does not live by bread alone but by every word that pours out of my Father's mouth. This is a master stroke. 
Word and faith are inseparable. The Word breathed out by God, as I mentioned, what we believe about that Word, written by the prophets. It's not just words. It's the actual creative force of the universe. God spoke in Genesis. He spoke and it came into being. This is creative, unbelievable power of God. The Word of God and His promises of preservation, protection, redemption are what we place our faith on. Jesus is called the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word came and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, full of grace and truth. The Word came to Moses, written on tablets of stone, and became the law. God's Word, Jesus, the bodily expression of His very Word and will and desire for all of us comes through the Word of God. We place our faith on that for our preservation, for our protection, and for our redemption. But the Word can't be applied without the faith. Two weeks ago, I had a couple in my office, same scenario, premarital, went through the gospel. There's no faith. Well, think about it. Sad. Well, think about it. Faith, on the other hand, can't do anything without the Word. I mean, you can have your, all the faith you want in this baptismal fountain. It's just not going to cut it. But if you believe in God's promises, that's what's going to cut it. So what the enemy of our souls tries to do is he tries to separate these two. And the area that he can work with the best is in our area of faith. He can try to sow some seeds of doubt in us. And he works to try to make that happen. One place he really likes to attack us is in our homes. He likes to, to, to attack our children, and he also likes to attack the parents. And what he wants to do is he wants to convince, and what he's doing lately, he wants to convince the parents, that their children really don't want to be around them, that they've got better things to do, they've got an iPod to, to work on or listen to or, you know, Facebook or whatever it is, they really don't need them. Well, let me share some statistics with you that tell you what kind of a lie that is. These are independent surveys. These, this is USA Today magazine. Survey 272,400 teenagers. And they concluded and found that 70% of the teens identified their parents as the most important influence in their life. 70%. And in fact, in many of those cases, they were their hero. MTV, another bastion of theology, and the Associated Press released a study of 13 to 24-year-olds that said 
their top priority, the thing they wanted to do most and yearned to do most, was to spend time with their family. That was the top answer. That's what's desired. And what these statistics tell us is that the Word of God, which instructs parents to spend time with their children, is a means of grace that is intended to meet deep needs, deep needs for protection and empowerment in our children. God's Word says, teach God's Word. Instructions to the covenant community. God said this, teach God's words, teach these words to their children, to your children. Talking of them when you're sitting down. Talking to them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you get up. One middle school student at Catalina Foothills she took these teachings and she took her faith and I want to share her story with you. She sent me this email. Her name's Maddie and she's, she's, she's really cute. She's a real hoot. Maddie says, um, the main thing I struggle with is thinking I'm hanging with the right crew. Your friends can change and go through different stuff and you really have to try and stay on your toes and realize when your friends are slowly moving in the wrong direction. Since they've been your friends for so long, you don't recognize that they're dragging you into stuff because they've always been there to support you in the right things in the past. Once I got advice from someone, and I thought it just didn't feel right. I consulted the scriptures and found verses completely against that advice. What I always try to do is consult the scriptures and my parents and friends with my problems. I I can tell you this. Maddie is really on to something here. Did you notice when she said you really have to stay on your toes? That's a nice little application for the helmet of salvation. Staying on your toes, keeping alert. But what I want you to see is just to see how powerful the gospel is in securing protection and empowerment for us and for our children. Satan wants us to believe that the odds are too great. But I believe this, that the gospel is so powerful that one 15-minute discussion with your children or your grandchildren is more powerful than the other 10,065 minutes of the week. It will stand out in power far above any other experience that they have. Just one. Just one. That's the grace of the gospel. That's how wonderful it is. That's how much it can inculcate you in your life and your children and your children's children. We talked, to, we sang today something about generation to generation. That's what we're called to do is to pass this wonderful news on. One 15-minute time of discussion of a verse of Scripture, a little devotion and prayer is phenomenal. will outweigh all the crud they're going to come up with. I had this really impressed on me when I was up in Grand Rapids. One of the events they took us to 
was they took us to the Gerald R. Ford Jr. Presidential Museum. I don't know if any of you ever been there. And I'd never really been to a presidential museum before. I always wanted to go to Ronald Reagan's or something like that. But here, here we were, Gerald Ford. And when I first heard about it, I have to confess this, I thought, boy, going to the Ford Museum, that'll be great. I get to see these old cars and uh, Edison's breath. This will be fun, you know. Why not? And uh, I'd always wanted to see those things that are there in the Ford Museum. And then when I found out it was the Gerald R. Ford Jr. Presidential Museum, I was like, oh, gosh, okay, you know, we'll go and see what we we can find out there. But, you know, it was a lot better than I ever hoped for. Because I met another person there. I was introduced to another person named Leslie King, Jr. Leslie King, Jr., when he was 11 months old, his, his mother divorced his father because he had threatened to kill her, their housemaid, and the baby, and was abusive to her. So she divorced Leslie King, Sr. And with her child, Leslie King, Jr., set out to try to remake her life. And after a year or so, she met another man. And this man said, you know, I'm not just going to marry you. I'm going to give your child my name. Because this guy was a kind of a bum. And so he married her. And they named the child Gerald R. Ford, Jr. Now, what's cool about this is he didn't just say, you can have my last name, Ford. He said, I'm going to give you my whole name, and I'm going to call you Jr. So Gerald R. Ford, Jr. was born Leslie King, Jr. I bet there's not many of you that knew that. I didn't know it. But hidden in the display are these little plaques that take you on the journey. But that's not what's really significant. What's really significant is that Ford's mother, when he was real little, taught him Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and had him memorize that that proverb. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And he memorized that. One night when Ford was 17, he was working in a restaurant, making $2 a week. And a man walked in the restaurant, and he said, Are you Leslie King, Jr.? He said, No, I'm Gerald R. Ford, Jr. He said, Well, I'm Leslie King, Sr., and I'm your father. And so they went outside and they talked. And Leslie King told him about the huge ranch he had in Wyoming, how well he was doing, introduced him to his new wife, told him they had several children. Everything was great. He was very wealthy. And when he left, he gave Ford $20. Ford went home that night, and he was sick in his soul about it as he remembered the stories of how this guy had left his mother in the lurch and how hard she had worked and had to fend for herself. He remembered that he had abused her physically. And he was restless and he couldn't sleep. But he remembered this too. Lean not on your own understanding. 
Lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him. And He'll make straight your path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He remembered that and it calmed him. He prayed that prayer. It got him through that time. Forty-four years later, Gerald and Betty Ford are in an apartment in Washington, D.C. He's a 25-year congressman. They sat in their apartment, uncertain about what the future would hold, a little fearful of things. They weren't sure what the next few years of their life was really going to be like. And they prayed. They were comforted with these same words. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make straight your paths. The next day at noon, August 9th, 1974, the day on which President Nixon resigned, Gerald and Betty Ford entered the East Room of the White House. And with the Bible open to Proverbs, probably 3, 5, that would be my real bet on this, Ford placed his right hand on the Bible and was sworn in as the 38th President of the United States of America. He told the audience that day, our long national nightmare is over. President Ford faced many, many problems as he assumed the presidency of the United States. But he met those problems just as he met many others in prayer and with a quiet faith and trust in God's Word. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in God. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make straight your paths. 29 little words. 29 little words changed a man. They changed a nation. And they changed a world. What would a few minutes? What would 15 minutes? What would a few words do for you and your family? And the world? Take the sword of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. Take the sword of the Spirit. When you're lost your way, it'll give you a clear direction. When you're afraid you might turn away from God, consider its powerful motives to stay tight with God. Consider when you feel too weak to go on, that it just doesn't seem like I can continue and persevere here, that I can press on. Consider his rich encouragements where he says, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, my power is made perfect. My grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, how can we thank you enough for your word? Your word is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. 
Your word is the word of salvation. Your word is Jesus in bodily form. Your word is all these things to us, Lord. Help us. Help us of little faith at times to hear and do and drink deeply of your word that never runs dry. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.